and welcome to another bp movie journal the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these i'm david i'm tyler uh it's gonna be another short one um, yeah but uh why don't we get right in, into it uh, and, and you tell us what you've been watching it's gonna be short for a few reasons uh so i've got a couple of rewatches and then two new movies and because we've got our our top 10 of the of 2020 coming up. I don't want to spend too much time on the movies here. So I see. Yeah, that makes sense. So the first uh, film is going to have that problem. The episode that we're doing this week, that'll come out in a few days that we're recording in an hour or so. Yeah. Um, I'm like, shit, I've got, two movies on this list that I just talked about on recent movie journals. It's, it's tough to say it's, it's the downside of movie. I, I love doing movie journals, but it is the downside is that when we do like a, a wrap up at the end of the year, it's very easy to just repeat what you said before. It's like, well, I don't have any, I don't, I only have so many new thoughts uh, in a given year. Yeah. Uh, but yes. Yeah, so this, uh, the, the, this is probably stupid, but and wrong. But in my head, I think of our readership and our listenership as different audiences. Sure. Which is probably not true. I'm sure sure there are some, but there's there's probably most people who are listening to this probably also read the site, right? uh, Probably, but it doesn't necessarily go the other way. Not everybody who reads listens. That I know, yeah. Yeah. uh, But I do have a tendency sometimes to like repeat what I said in the review that I wrote. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Uh, but, uh, again, hopefully people don't mind hearing the same thought twice or more times. All right. So sorry. What did you watch? I watched, uh, the only BP best picture nominee I had not seen, which is, uh, small acts lovers rock. Oh, good. Um, the, uh, Steve McQueen film. And, and I don't want to go into a lot of detail cause I think I haven't quite placed it. It's probably either going to be in my top 10 or honorable mentions. Uh, I'm not sure exactly, but, um, the thing that the really, the thing I really want to hit here is that I didn't think Steve McQueen had this in him. Mm. As you know, I don't usually, I don't really respond to the way he makes movies. Yeah, I did not before small X. Yeah. I didn't like shame there. Of course there are moments to 12 years of slave that are extremely impactful. S- same with widows. He's not an untalented director, but for whatever reason, like just that, that sense of dour self seriousness, not even self serious, just dour seriousness uh, is something that after a while I'm like, okay, yeah, this is, I, I got it. Uh, and so for for a movie like this, that just has so much life, uh, and, and just has a, a real cr- a crackling energy, specifically the energy of an event. And incidentally, it's the kind of event I, I have n- almost no experience with. Uh, I don't dance. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I barely listen to music at this point. Um, and so, uh, and yet whether it's going to a friend, going to like a get together, whatever it is, just something that's put together. And there's just an energy of anticipation. And then when it's happening and the idea of, of you, you get the impression that all the people, like this is the highlight of their week, if not their month, you don't exactly know how, how often this happens. It mm-hmm. feels special, but maybe it's the kind of special thing. Maybe it's like a Friday night 
special thing. Maybe it happens regularly. Um, but just the idea that it brings this, this community, this very specific community together, uh, and that there's a lot of different types of personalities, um, is, is really something. And I think it's that togetherness and that sense of community, um, and the, the, the jovial quality that comes with that. And I'll go into more detail about that in a few weeks. Um, that really jumped out at me and, and I'm certainly interested in watching the rest of the small acts films, but I know that a lot of people say, consider this to be the, the highlight of the bunch. And I, I can definitely having looked into what the other ones are about, they sound good, but they, again, they sound a little bit, they sound a little bit more standard Steve McQueen. Whereas this one really, really stands out for me. Yeah. I mean, I will say that I'm like you was not a big Steve McQueen fan, but I do, I do stand by, all of the small X films to different okay. degrees. I think, you know, uh, red, white, and blue is probably at the, at the bottom and lovers like is definitely at the top, but they're all above average, uh, to, yeah. to great films. And I wonder, are they, if, are they all, because this one is 70 minutes. Are they all fairly short or some, except, or some like full length? Uh, so, um, um, mangrove is over two hours. The first one that's like okay. a, 129 minutes, or whatever. I think red, white, and blue is like 80 minutes, which is long. And I think the other two are about the same length, if not shorter, than than Lovers Rock. Okay. Um, and it does make me wonder. Uh, like, I mean, like mangrove was number one. It's the one that is a you know the most movie. It's a feature length movie. I wonder if it has taken. Amazon or Steve McQueen or anyone else by surprise that Lovers Rock has clearly leapt out to the front. Like, like Mangrove was what they're leading with. Sure. And um, it's very good, but uh, I don't know if they expected the, the, the reception that Lovers Rock has got. Having not seen the other, the other films, there is just, whether it be a fun, whether it be like comparing it to other Steve McQueen films or just other films in general, there is just, again, this crackling energy and an element of positivity, even though there are uh, negative or at least yeah. tense elements within the film, yeah. there's still just this, this communal positivity that really resonates. And I think that would resonate with people, no matter who made it, or even if it was, uh, whether it was part of uh, this series or not, um, I really responded to it and I was excited for it. All right. You got one more, right? Hmm. That's right. I'm so accustomed to you having watched more. Uh, so as you know, Jen and myself and another friend have been, we, we worked our way through all the Star Wars movies. Okay. And so we decided like, well, what franchise are we going to pick up next? And we decided to go with the Pirates of the Caribbean oh. franchise. No, I'm sorry, not Star Trek. Um, uh, but yeah, you landed on a, on a good one until you get to number four but um yeah which and i haven't even seen the the fifth one the fourth one i have seen admittedly i saw it on a plane and i think for me the it's always nice to see ian mcshane um yeah the, the fourth one to me i i think i've said this on the movie journal before but it's been years when i watched i watched because I saw, I saw the first one a couple times in the theater mm -hmm. and then i didn't catch up like basically it was one of those things where i had like a friend a group friend outing planned to go see the fifth one and i hadn't seen two through four so i crammed them you know oh, in boy. between um, and I ended up like, I know two and three had a bad reputation at the time, um, mm -hmm. for reasons that are wrong because they're fucking so great. I love two and three so, so, so much. And I remember watching those and being like, this is so like such a dense, like fun world. 
I wonder if there's like fan fiction out there about the Pirates of the Caribbean. And then I watched the fourth one. and I was like, oh, this is this is it. Yeah, <laughs> this, it's... Feels, this feels like Pirates of the Caribbean fan fiction. And it's a different it's a different director. So it makes sense. Uh, yeah. So I watched the first one. I've seen the first one many, many times. I really do love it. Uh, I don't really have much to say, except that. In a way, it really is a shame that there were so many of these things because the novelty of Jack Sparrow in the first film is this is something I say a lot. He was nominated for an Oscar for that. Yeah. Like that's that clearly no one expected, like no one ever would have expected that that movie would be nominated for anything other than a, like a technical Oscar. Uh, and then he shows up and people are like, well, what choice do we have? But to nominate this crazy ass performance, like there are things like when he first steps off of the, his sinking boat onto the dock and the way he walks, it looks like he's genuinely unbalanced. And at any moment he could topple over to one side and it's just, it's, it's such he he really balances the the humor and kind of goofiness of the character with the competence and confidence of the character. He is able to do things, but he is also ridiculous. Uh, and it's such a it's such a fun character. And as much as I adore like Jeffrey Rush, uh, you know he is a villain, and so villains are always more colorful anyway. Like if not for I would say Johnny Depp's performance specifically, because there is a way to play Jack Sparrow that is a little bit more straightforward and probably still fun. But if not for the way the character's written and especially the way he, he's played, I don't think there are any more movies. I, I like it's a fun world in that first one, certainly. And I love the art direction and I really adore, uh, adore the music. Um, but I don't think there'd be enough for people to want to come back. Like, I think most of the time with sequels, people like spending time with the characters again and with that one, especially. And so uh, just the, the, the novelty of his performance. Like I know that we, we don't, I don't know if we like Johnny Depp or not having listened to that, having listened to that audio recording with him and, and Amber Heard, I don't think we're supposed to like her either. Uh, she's yeah, that's, yeah. it's a rough situation. Uh, yeah. I, there are no winners here. Yeah. Uh, but man, there is a like before before all of that, like there was just something special about the way Johnny Depp approached characters and performances and underlined completely by this. And I really uh, I, I love the movie in general. I think the whole cast is great. Again, I love the visual design of it. Um, and uh, certainly as I was watching it, I, I was like, oh, I just want to go on the on the ride again. I love the ride so much. Um, but yeah, so the first Pirates of the Caribbean, the Curse of the Black Pearl, uh, thumbs up. I really love I really love it. Um, yeah, as far as do we like Johnny Depp or not uh, anymore? Like, I, I mean, I, outside of the as a person, I just mean sure. like as a presence in movies. It's been a long time since he's done anything that was surprising yeah you know I, what I, mean? I, I liked him in murder on the orange express it's a, it's a supporting performance um he plays the richard woodmark character um and i liked him in sweeney todd but that was 14 years ago at this point well okay i'm looking at his uh i mean i liked his very brief cameo in the 21 jump street movie sure, sure um but actually the movie is a mess but i don't mind him in dark shadows but that again now we're talking about That's nine true. years ago yeah you know and you know i don't really i don't like the movie black mass 
and his and his performance is is fine but there are a couple scenes in there where it's like oh this is like this is a really good subtly menacing performance which if used in a better in it with a better script and if he was a little bit more dialed in in other scenes but there are a couple where it's like genuine menace and he's really doing it well but yeah no i agree with you he's i mean it's his career is, has always been like so linked to Tim Burton. And I think even though they, you know, Johnny Depp has been in a number of different things, obviously the pirates films, but, um, but I think of them very similarly in so far as there was such a refreshing novelty to them. But after a while, we all just kind of got used to them and, and it's been a while since either one of them have surprised us mm-hmm. really at all. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, moving on to the only feature film that I watched this week. I'll have another short to talk about uh, at the end. The only feature film I watched this week, because uh, so many people are talking about it on Twitter or the Twitter I follow, I watched the latest uh, HBO documentary, Daniel Lindsay and TJ Martin's Tina, the oh, documentary yes, okay. about, about Tina Turner. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll say right up front, my uh, does this movie pass my test when it comes to rock docs? would is it more illuminating than spending the um, the runtime listening to the subject's music an emphatic no definitely okay. spend more time listening to tina turner and even and to and to uh i can tina turner obviously that has its baggage that the movie is mostly about um yeah. but uh definitely you'll be better served um listening to that but that's not to say the movie's bad i i i did uh it mostly um in, enjoy it it's pretty much a standard like talking head life story bio doc type of type of thing but um uh you know she's an interesting uh person uh with a a, a very fascinating very difficult um life uh and that makes for uh uh for good stuff so if you want to learn about tina turner you can watch it i'll I'll use my time here to point out some of the for a movie that's very heavy often some of the unexpectedly funny things okay um uh the the sort of uh just the unhosted tour the camera gives us of the home where she currently lives in in zurich switzerland it's just it's just a ridiculous mansion <laughs> that has like all kinds of just crazy stuff in it um like I, I didn't know that's where she lived that's interesting neither did i bet but her um her second and current husband is uh a i think a swiss like music producer oh okay um and they met through you know for career reasons and then she married him and and has lived in Switzerland for uh, quite a long time at this point, uh, apparently. Um, other things I'll point out: <laughs> there's there's one, um, and th- some of these these are funny things that happen in the midst of very heavy stuff. Just so there's like that kind of like uh, uh, you know um, uh, darkly funny things. But there's a part where there's some video footage of a, a television interview that she's doing while promoting mad max beyond thunderdome and the reporter has asked her about her relationship with ike turner and her her abusive marriage and so you've got this reporter sort of leaning in very intently and you've got tina turner talking about these very raw things and she's a if you uh one thing you learn from watching the movie she gesticulate she's very mm-hmm. big and broad and you've got that happening and in between is just mel gibson like looking down at his lap <laughs> 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 um, and then the other thing that i uh, uh 
Natalie didn't find this as funny as I did. So tell me if kind of funny to think that Mel Gibson yeah. would ever think to, about someone else. Boy, what a mess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is making me uncomfortable. This level of uh, domestic drama. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Tell me if this is funny. Cause Natalie was like, I don't see why you think this is funny, but um, so there was a biography, somewhat biography, uh, uh, it was called I, Tina. It came out in 1986. It was written by Tina Turner with Kurt Loder. Basically, like, as told to Kurt Loder. This is pre-MTV Kurt Loder. This is when he was a Rolling Stone writer. Um, and so we, uh, he has all those interviews, the, all the interview tapes that, that he recorded. Uh, and so we hear a lot of her talking about um, uh, this stuff. And this is, you know, five year, only five years or so after she left um, uh, Ike Turner. So it's still very raw. And she's saying... Um, uh, some you know some uh, very personal things, but for some, I guess it 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 seemed funny to me that in the midst of this, she kept in a conversation away referring to Kurt Loder as Kurt. So she's saying like these. It just seemed so like it seemed to clash. But she's saying the, like these really revealing things. She says like, I've never received genuine love in my entire life, Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> i get it okay I, I, yeah that's funny I kept finding that funny um but in a dark way it was you know plenty it, yeah. of compassion and sympathy for what she she went went through um it's the kind of thing where like when you think about it like any number of those things could be seen as like just sort of quotable things you know uh but then at the end it's like well i guess we can't quote it now what is it to, there's... i didn't mean to make light because the the movie right. is obviously very heavy and what she went through is but there are some some moments of uh levity i guess i believe there is a once again i'll be quoting the simpsons there's a a simpsons episode where they go to visit some kind of fort or whatever and there's a a statue of somebody and a quote that says i'll die before i surrender tim <laughs> 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 and, and then Bart's like, who's Tim? It's like, well, apparently that's who he was talking to right before he got shot through the head. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this yeah, is a there's... pre-established uh, <laughs> yeah, joke structure. I guess. Absolutely. Uh, okay. So next for me is Gore Verbinski's Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Man's Chest, a film I have not seen in 15 years. I only saw it once. Uh, like a lot of the people that you mentioned, I did not like really the second or third film. Um, my reason for not liking it is still there, which is just like, man, they just bring back like every funny line. They, they turn jokes from the first movie that are funny and they just turn them into running jokes. Like you really didn't have to do that. And it, it, I wouldn't say it ruined it for me the first time, but it really frustrated me knowing that that's there and going in and watching it, I really, I, I think you've said this, like when you, when you watched all of them, I appreciate how nuts this movie is and how will Gore Verbinski has that quality to him as a director. Yeah. Like if, if given a free hand, he will make a movie like this where it's like, well, there's basically no store, no structure to this story. It's just characters getting into this scrape and that scrape and betraying each other and all that. And in the midst of it, I do like the the expansion of the world and that they are slowly but surely like incorporating all of these nautical things like, oh, Davy Jones is the captain of the Flying uh, Dutchman. And oh, and he can summon the Kraken, like all of these 
all of these concepts and that the term dead man's chest, like that's a, that's a term that you've heard like 15 men on a dead man's chest. Mm -hmm. Um, and that like all of these things play into one another. I remember really liking that and really appreciating, although I'm often uh, horrified by it, but really appreciating the, for lack of a better term, body horror of this film. Like so many of, of Davy Jones crew, like are slowly including, uh, Stone Skarsgård, they're slowly becoming, uh, oceanic in some way one guy is sort of like a hammerhead shark one guy is just slowly just being absorbed into the ship itself uh uh stellan skarsgård's character like he has like essentially a starfish on the side of his face but it's clearly growing into his skin and he has like coral growing off of his back it's like it's and then like there's a part where where one of his crew members essentially gets like disemboweled and just like fish come out just like it just like like you cut open a net or something yeah and so stuff like that not to mention davy jones himself and just like his constantly moving like tentacles on his beard and it's just like oh man i really i really appreciate the the and there's there's like grotesque stuff in the first film but like really delving into a finding a different way to express like the the mythological complexity of of this world and some of the some of the action sequences, I mean, obviously, everything having to do with that wheel at the end is so delightfully done. Mm. Uh, and then uh, Kira Knightley and the two sort of uh, R2D2 C3PO uh, pirates that show up in the first one, one of them with the, uh, the fake eye. Uh, so the three of them are essentially fighting in the woods. And then some of like Davy Jones uh, uh minions come running after them so they realize like oh well we're going we're going to have to like fight them off but they only have two swords between them and so they're fighting them and one will say sword and they throw a sword to him and he fights and then they have to throw it to the other person and it's just like stuff like that that's really that's really Very fun cool. and, and yeah. creative and uh i am you know i am frustrated by like again like having to just revisit so many uh of of jokes and and gags from the first film but uh but again knowing when you know something is there it allows you to kind of forget it and appreciate what is new and one of the things that i like is how i do think that they they make jack sparrow maybe a little bit too jokey but one thing that i like is that in this movie you really discover it's like oh yeah like he's a good guy but almost just by comparison to people that are worse but he is actually quite selfish and a little bit cowardly uh and is very much in it for himself and i think that's a neat idea um and i think it speaks to to johnny depp's performance in the first film that you can layer those things on him and it doesn't seem out of character like that's that's the that's the good thing about a, a strange character like that you can move in an, him in a number of directions and it's feasible and the thing about the, the i think the reason that character like development works in the first three movies is, is because you've got Kira Knightley and Orlando Bloom there. Yes. You know, in, in the fourth one, uh, uh, you don't have that. The fifth one, uh, I don't, I don't know how much to, Orlando Bloom comes back. Um, okay. uh, and there's like a, a, they sub in like a new young, uh, couple in the fifth, but the fifth one's just, it's bad. Don't it's mm. well, but, um, I'll get there. I'll let you know um, what I think of it. But the thing, I, I, yeah, because I'm also bothered uh, with 
comedies especially like i hate austin powers too so much mm. because that's what it is it's just like oh the dumbest jokes that like the high school yeah. and college boys have been repeating yeah. uh for the past couple of years we'll just do all those again I, I i do hate that stuff but i think um gore Verbinski overpowers it with his like just go for broke like you know nautical gothic weirdness and yeah. The movie, the, all of his movies, uh, all of his pirates movies and his movies in general are just absolutely gorgeous. You know, the, mm -hmm. the very opening of Dead Man's Chest, which is the uh, torrential rainfall and the abandoned like wedding yeah. is, uh, it's like, a, it's like a gasp moment. And that's just how the movie starts out. And like movies, franchise movies, you know, they don't look like that generally um, yeah. it's it's so beautiful and so and so strange and so expensive looking in a way that i that i like um you don't you don't see uh, enough of that and uh um i have a guess maybe as to what your next movie is um, sure. um i don't know if it's at world's end or not but there are other uh moments um in at world's end that are uh like i don't care what's going on or how much sense this doesn't make this is too gorgeous to be ignored it's odd that you say that because no it is not at world's end but oh, okay. it is similar uh in that uh it's like i don't know what's going on or what isn't but uh charlie kaufman's i'm thinking of ending things oh. is is enough it's it's invigorating enough for me to just kind of go with it and and as is always the case with him i think he is i think he's working towards something and it's definitely it's definitely a journey and, and I won't go into, I won't go too much into what I think he's trying to do with the film uh, because it definitely will be either in my top 10 or it, or in uh, honorable mentions um, likely wherever it is right now, it could change uh, the more I think about it. Cause it's that kind of movie. Um, I remember the first, probably the first 10 to 15 minutes I liked what the, what the Jesse's were doing and I liked the writing. Um, although I, I wrongfully, I think have a knee jerk reaction when I see uh, Academy ratio, uh, uh, in a newer movie. Um, because a lot now though, to you then, because they just, it seems to happen all the time. They seem to be making movies like that all the time now. Yeah. And I think maybe that's the issue where it's just like, okay, why, why are you doing this? And that's the thing is like when it's, and this is me being an asshole, like when it's somebody like a Charlie Kaufman or a, uh, uh, Paul Schrader, uh, Paul Schrader. Thank you. Um, I usually trust them, but when it's somebody like a Zach, that's the thing. Cause I just watched Zack Snyder's justice league and that's in, uh, it's, it's four, four, three. Um, yeah. And when I saw that, I'm just like, I, I feel like he's, I have a sense of why he's doing this, but I don't think he does it well. I think Charlie Kaufman is doing it very well. Um, and yeah, I, so I, I, I tend to like, I'm as much as I have the skepticism when I see like, Oh, it's in a bizarre or an uncommon or no yeah. longer common aspect ratio. I feel like I tend to like it more often than, yeah. than, than I, mean, not, I love the know, lighthouse, like the lighthouse, which is one, yeah. one nine to one. Yeah. Um, but like, uh, yeah, I feel like, uh, Andrea Arnold kind of uh, uh, kicked this thing off like a decade ago, and and uh, uh, <laughs> she she really lit a fire. But like uh, a ghost story is great. Um, sure. 
Dear Comrades and Sin, both the recent movies by Andrei Konchalovsky, if I'm saying that right. Um, is Cold War? The, I think Cold, uh, it's Cold Black War and White. Is, I think it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, I'll tell you, the one that did, uh, because it's a bad movie otherwise, um, but The Midnight Sky is like 2.11 to 1. Hmm. It's a weird aspect ratio. Or it's odd. Maybe it's 2.2 or something. I can't remember, but it's like... Um, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I've gotten to a point where uh, uh, I guess I watch enough movies that I can immediately go like, I don't, I don't know what that is. <laughs> and then I had to like, look it up. You know, um, it's, there's nothing inherently wrong with, with that ratio. Uh, I'm thinking of a, a joke that I really adore by uh, Nate Bargatze, where he was talking about his, uh, his wedding being like very cheap. Uh, and he said, and he was talking about how much he did not like his DJ. And then he mentioned, he's like, he goes, and you know, the DJ only had one leg, which wasn't a big deal, but as the night goes on and he's, and he's like making mistakes, you start to wonder why does he only have one leg? Like, and, and that's in the sense that like suddenly everything's wrong with him right. and you get, you get really, uh, and I kind of feel like it's just like, if it's Paul Schrader or if it's uh, Robert Eggers or, or somebody that I trust, and, and I like the movie they're making. It's like, this is the, the ratio, the ratio is just one more part of it. And, and it's part of their larger vision when it's somebody like a Zack Snyder making a movie I don't like, or the midnight sky based on what I've heard of it. Uh, it's just like something I otherwise would have probably just kind of accepted. It becomes one more thing that frustrates me because so, it feels like they're trying to put on airs of some kind. So the thing, I, I, maybe I don't understand enough about, um, justice league because i haven't oh, I didn't okay. see i didn't see the the theatrical version and i, don't know, I haven't maybe really read this is he's using it's not all new footage uh no right? some of it is yeah some of it is is from earlier yeah so it was i'm going to assume that the 2017 justice league is a scope aspect ratio mm -hmm. probably i'm guessing um so he's using footage that he initially composed as yeah. the auteur for a scope aspect ratio and then cropping it to mix with new footage that he shot to be one, three, three, or is he, I think he, he said that he always, he always wanted it to be uh four, three. And so I guess hypothetically composed it. Well, four, four, three and one, three, three to one are the same. Oh yeah. Yeah. Pardon me. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. Um, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> no, like, look, I'm not, a, saying, uh, not correcting you. There are other people listening. I want to make sure that it's sure. Clear. Sure. Um, but yeah. And so, uh, no, the, he said that that was his intention. Um, and yet like when you see the, you know, when you see the, the, the 2017 film, it does feature a lot of his footage. And it's like, it's not as though everything's crammed into, into the middle of the frame and there's like nothing on the sides. Uh, and this goes to what I was saying about like the new one It's like, maybe he, maybe he genuinely did intend uh, this. And certainly when he was shooting new footage, he intended it, but I don't think he is a strong enough compositional filmmaker to actually make it work. Um, it always feels like, like it's cropped uh, on the sides and that I'm, that there's something there that I, that is meant to be there that we're not seeing. Um, and I don't think that's necessary. I don't think, I, I don't think it's revisionism. I don't think it's him saying he's like, you know what? I think, uh, I think a lot of people are doing this thing. I'm going to do this too. Um, 
And so he's just adapting it. No, I, I just think that he's not the kind of filmmaker that can actually make something like that work. I think he naturally thinks in scope and there's nothing wrong with that unless he's trying to do something that isn't. Um, anyway, did you have but, more to say about I'm thinking of anything? <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, what I mean to say is that like, so seeing it like that, uh, you know, seeing the, the ratio and then the, the tone of the, of the conversation that they're having, um, I remember just being like, okay, this is going to be rough. I forget. I kind of forget that Charlie Kaufman as a writer director is almost completely devoid of emotion and is like pure intellect, which is fun. Well, sorry. No, it's not fun. It is often funny, maybe dryly funny, but it can be tough. Like it really, you really got to be engaged. And also there's always the, the potential because you did not like Synecdoche, New York. Uh, yeah, but I was at, probably at wrong. first. Sure. I mean, I, I, haven't, I haven't revisited it since the theater. I didn't like right. it then. Um, but, uh, I've changed a lot in the, what's that? Is that 2008? Eight. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been 13 years. Yeah. I've changed a lot. Yeah. It's, I, I might like it now. I, I definitely do like it. And, but there was just something about like the, the smallness of this. And I don't think I quite realized how much it would morph into what we think of as a Charlie Kaufman film. Like it seemed like it was going to be a fairly straightforward, like, domestic type drama and then soon enough you realize that (laughs) you realize it is not that and once it shifts into this other thing i i love the look of it i love what the actors are doing i love i really enjoy the structure of it and i just like i watched it before i went to bed and it took me a while to fall asleep because it just it got my mind going in like the in in a the best way i really and i has some it has a horror feel at certain it sure does especially that dog that uh yeah that dog is scary it's yeah it's a it's a really interesting film uh and one that i will uh, i'm eager to talk about in more depth uh when we get to our top 10 well what i will ask you now because you've just not now watched that means you you hadn't watched it before the voting for the BPs, right? What do you think of BP nominee Abby Quinn in the uh, for the uh, Bruce McGill uh, uh, best performance under fifteen minutes uh, well, award? First off, the good thing about me being the one who tallies the awards, uh, the the ballots, is that I can wait to tally my own uh, until until the oh. very last. Um, so uh, so I'm still getting these in, and then before we do our BP's quote unquote ceremony that's that to me is the actual deadline for everybody else. The deadline's like six days before you weren't able to nominate Abby. Correct. I guess what I'm saying is, do you think you would have, do you think she would have made your ballot? Cause when I, uh, uh, Aaron Newworth, who has a BP's ballot, uh, and I weeks ago were texting about our, our, our ballots. And, and, uh, uh, he asked, he texted me like, who are you thinking, who are you thinking of for Bruce McGill? And I almost, for the Bruce McGill award, and I almost, uh, which is best performance of under 15 minutes of screen time. I haven't said that already. Um, I almost surprised myself by how quickly I went. Oh, Abby Quinn. Would I have included, you know what? Uh, there's a good chance, partially because I, I'm largely unfamiliar with her uh, as an actress. And she's in Landline, the Jillian uh, Robespierre's follow up to Obvious Child. Oh, okay. I didn't see uh, either one. Oh. Um, but, uh, but yeah, if it's an actor uh, that I'm largely unfamiliar with, I do know that, like, 
I tend to just because of who I am, it's like, if it's like a big movie star who is doing essentially like a cameo, even if it's like a really good performance, like uh, Martin short in uh, inherent inherent vice, mm. um, I do tend to try to look at that as like an opportunity to nominate actors that are lesser known or that I'm not that familiar with. Uh, and she makes an impression. She really stands out. And in a, and in a movie like that, where you do have two very strong lead performances and two, I think very strong supporting performances for these kind of these sort of tertiary characters for them to make enough of an impression to think about afterwards, which I was, uh, yeah, that tends to be how I think when it comes to the, the McGill, uh, uh awards so uh yeah it's possible i don't remember what i did submit but uh okay. but yeah that's that's feasible um okay so right. you watched a short film it sounds like yeah i was just uh, i was reading something about um um avos kirostami um okay and realizing that i like i hadn't seen anything pre like 90s you know he'd been making films uh for a while and so his uh his 1975 short film two solutions for one problem is available on youtube so you can watch it uh, oh, it's right. under five minutes long um and it's really great it's clearly like a lot of um uh there's a uh, uh I guess there's a lot of Iranian films that are made about or about children. Um, hmm. You know, I think about things like uh, the white balloon or a time for drunken horses or uh, all of these things. Um, uh, this short film feels almost, and I don't know what its purpose was. Maybe this is exactly what it was, but it feels almost like a Sesame street segment. Like hmm. the two solutions, solution, two solutions to one problem is that basically there are two friends. One of them lends the other a book. And when the other returns the book, the cover has a tear in it. And hmm. there's basically like, there's two ways you can react to that. So one is the boys getting into a fight. And the other one is the boy, the one boy helping the other, like glue the thing back together, two solutions to one problem. And it, like that very, what I'm saying, like you're smiling right now, that's yeah. that very dry sense of humor is, is the, uh, um, is what makes two solutions to one problem so much fun. Like even when they fight, it's very much the fight happens in like, this is still like a very diagrammatic. Is that a word? Um, uh, documentary type thing. Like, okay, first he does this and he's like throwing the kid's hat on the ground and it's like, <laughs> and then he does this and he like rips the shoulder off his shoulder, but like a uh, strap off his shoulder bag or whatever. Um, uh, it's a very funny, uh, uh, short film that teaches, a teaches kids a good lesson about how to deal with problems among friends. It's under five minutes and it's on YouTube. Two solutions sounds, to one problem. That sounds great. 